I would just like to welcome all of you to the Central Church of Christ. I'd like to welcome our online audience as well. We're just so thankful for all of you guys who are here with us this morning. You could be worshiping anywhere, and yet you've chose Central to worship with us this morning. So thank you so much. Well, I hope all of you guys had a great holiday season. Uh, it's almost over, but I hope that you all had a very Merry Christmas and that you got to spend some time with some friends and family and, and just all the loved ones. But uh, before we get started with our lesson, I would like to say a prayer because I know that there are many from our church family who are currently traveling right now, but I also know that there are a lot who have experienced a lot of hurt and loss this year. And so I know that the holiday is probably a, a tough time for a lot of people. So if you wouldn't mind, let's, let's go to our Father in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so blessed to be here this morning. We are so thankful for the holiday season where everyone in the world is thinking about you. We ask you this morning to be with all of those who are traveling and all of those who are visiting their families. We just ask that you will keep them safe on their journey back home. We're so thankful for family and for friends that make these holiday times just so much better. But Father, we know that there are a lot who have lost people so close to them this year. The holidays are such a wonderful time, but they can also bring pain, and so we just pray for all of those who are hurting right now and uh, for all of those who have been hurting for some time. I just ask that you will comfort them in their time of need, and I ask that you will remind them of heaven, the, the place that you created for us to be able to get away from sickness and from death, and so we just pray that one day we may all be able to gather together before your throne with friends and family who have gone on before us. And we're just so thankful for your son and for the sacrifice that he was. And we pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, if you have your Bibles with you, you can go ahead and open those up to Genesis chapter 37. I am not as nice as Slate, so the verses will not be on the screen. So you are going to have to do a little bit of manual labor this morning. But Genesis chapter 37 is where we're going to be starting in just a few moments. 2020 is almost over. Can you believe it? Yes, exactly. This year feels like it has been five years and one. Does everybody agree with that? I would, I would say so. In, in case you have already forgotten, I would like to just remind you of a few of the things that we have gone through this year. We started off this year with Australia in flames. Over 47 million of acres were affected by these fires. While those were still going on, we had all the rumors from World War III, and everyone was freaking out about that, and then that's when the coronavirus hit. I know it feels like it's been going on a lot longer than a year, but it started spreading across the globe, and then the, uh, everything got shut down, quarantining, mask mandates were put up. There was the tragic loss of Kobe Bryant and his daughter, followed by the impeachment trial of Donald Trump. The stock market crash, the Black Lives Matter protests, the death rumors of Ken John Un, the explosion in Barrett that killed almost 200 people, Chadwick Boseman lost his battle with cancer, Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away in addition to Van Halen, Alex Trebek, and Jeremy Bullock. Then we had all the West Coast wildfires, and at some point during the summer there were these murder hornets that were flying around. I, I don't remember where that was at, but that's not even everything. That's just the highlights of our year. And you know, sometimes in life, God gives you lemons. Now, what you choose to do with those lemons is entirely up to you. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at four men in the Bible who experienced some lemons in their life. And we're going to see what they chose to do with them. The first one that we're going to be talking about this morning is Joseph. Now, even though Joseph's life started off very cushy and very privileged, it 
quickly became the exact opposite. Because everywhere that Joseph turned, Joseph found lies. Perfect. Thank you. Uh, starting all the way back in Genesis chapter 37, we quickly learn that Joseph is a part of this pretty dysfunctional family. I mean, for starters, he has 12 older brothers. Uh, being the second youngest of 12 older brothers, having 12 older brothers can't be easy. Um, I mean, could you imagine what the hand-me-downs would look like by the time that it got down 12 boys? Probably not very good. Uh, second of all, um, his father, Jacob, played favorites. So Joseph actually didn't have to worry about the hand-me-downs because he was given this brand new, shiny, colorful coat. And third, Joseph was given the ability to dream dreams and to see the future. So for all of these reasons, and I'm sure for many more, Joseph's brothers hated him. They couldn't stand him. Uh, they wanted to kill him, but Reuben convinced them to throw, them in, throw him in a well instead, which when Reuben's back was turned, they of course picked him up and they sold him to some merchants. So the lies begin in Genesis chapter 37, starting in verse 31. It says, the brothers killed a goat and they dipped Joseph's robe in its blood. And then they brought the long-sleeved robe to their father and said, we have found this robe. Look at it carefully and see if it's your son's robe. Jacob looked it over and he said, it's my son's robe. Some savage animal has eaten him. My son Joseph has been torn to pieces. And then Jacob tore his clothes. He put on rough cloth to show how sad that he was. And he continued to be sad about his son for a very long time. Now, afterwards, in chapter 37, Joseph is purchased by Potiphar. And he quickly works his way up the totem pole to become the highest servant. He's put in charge of everything. He's trusted by Potiphar and all of the servants. Uh, until one day when he catches the eye of Potiphar's wife. She tries to entrap him, but of course he doesn't fall for it and he flees from her. So the second round of lies start in verse 13 of chapter 39. It says, When she saw that Joseph had left his coat in her hands and had run outside, she called to the servants in her house and she said, Look, this is the Hebrew slave. He was brought here to shame us. He came in and he tried to have sexual relations with me, but I screamed. And my scream scared him, and he ran away. But he left his coat in my hand. So she kept his coat until her husband came home. And then she told him the same story. She said, this Hebrew slave that you brought here came in to shame me. And when he came near me, I screamed. And he ran away, but then he left his coat. And when Joseph's master heard what his wife said that Joseph had done, he became very angry. And so Potiphar arrested Joseph. And he put him into the prison where the king's prisoners were put. And Joseph stayed there in the prison. Now, while Joseph is in prison, I'm sure you guys remember the rest of the story, he works his way up yet again to become the most trusted prisoner. And he's put in charge of all of the other prisoners. And one night, his cellmates have these strange dreams, and they ask Joseph to interpret them for him. And of course, he says that he will, but in exchange, they are to remember him when they escape. And so they promise to, and he interprets the dreams for them, but then they forget all about Joseph. Now, I'll let one off the hook because he did die, but the other guy, he didn't really have an excuse. Um, but even after all of the lies that Joseph was told, Joseph still sought the truth. At the end of each of these instances, Joseph doesn't seem to worry. He doesn't stress. Um, he simply starts over, and he starts rebuilding from where he is with what he has. And at the end of all these passages, if you continue reading down to the end, it gives you the answer as to how this is possible, how he can continue to be beat down and then build himself back up. It's because God was with Joseph. 
God never left Joseph. He was with him in the well. He was with him when he was sold to Potiphar. He was with him in Potiphar's house. He was with him in the prison cell, and he's going to continue to be with Joseph the rest of his life as he's going to sit on the throne, second highest in command of all of Egypt. And he's going to be with Joseph as he gets to relocate his entire family to be with him. Joseph knew all of this, and he trusted God's plan all along. And even though through all of his trials and through all of the lies, he knew that the truth lay with God. And even years later, his brothers, they're, they're filled with shame. They're filled with regret over the, the actions that they had uh, done in the past. And so they beg Joseph for forgiveness. And he tells them in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, he says, You meant to hurt me, but God turned your evil into good to save the lives of many people, which is now being done. Now, the truth is, God was painting this bigger picture. And even though it hurt when Joseph hit rock bottom, you know, time after time again, and, and, but, but and, you know, honestly, Joseph, he knew that if he didn't have that lemon of a life, if he, if he didn't suffer, then he wouldn't have been able to save all of the people from the famine. Now, speaking of suffering, our second example of a lemon-filled life, I would say, would have to be Job. Now, Job understands more than most. The, you know, our list of things that happened in 2020 happened to Job in just a matter of seconds. Everywhere that Job looked, he found pain. Job had everything that you could ever ask for. He had money. He had livestock. He had a big family, a great home. But when Satan takes notice of him, God gives him permission to test Job's faith in God and just see if he will waver. And honestly, we don't even have to go further than the first chapter in Job to find out how much that Job had to suffer through and the amount of loss that he had in his life. Let's begin reading in verse 13. It says, One day Job's sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine together at the oldest brother's house. A messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were eating grass nearby when the Sabaeans attacked, and they carried them away. They killed the servants with the sword, and I am the only one who escaped to tell you. The messenger was still speaking when another messenger arrived and said, Lightning from God fell from the sky, and it burned up the sheep and the servants, and I am the only one who escaped to tell you. The second messenger was still speaking when another messenger arrived and said, The Babylonians sent three groups of attackers that swept down, and they stole your camels, and they killed all your servants, and I am the only one who escaped to tell you. And as if that wasn't enough, the third messenger was still speaking when another messenger arrived and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine together in the oldest brother's house, when suddenly a great wind came from the desert, hitting all four corners of the house at once, and the house fell in on the young people, and they all died. And I am the only one who escaped to tell you. Now, Job had everything. Like we said, he had money, he had family, he had livestock and a great home. But just like that, Job lost everything. He, he lost his livestock, his servants, his, his children. And throughout the rest of the book of Job, he's going to continue to lose things. He's going to lose his health. He's going to lose his so-called friends. He loses it all. And eventually, he loses his joy and he loses his will to live. But one thing that he doesn't lose is his hope. He doesn't lose his faith in God. And hope is the only thing that he has that he holds on to. He keeps his relationship with God strong, and that's what pulls him out of his despair. Because even though Job was surrounded by so much pain, Job sought healing. So immediately after this, 
Uh, when he finds out all the bad news, I, I don't know what your reaction would have been, but I can tell you that mine would not have been what Job's was in verse 20. It says, when Job heard all of this, he got up and he tore his robe and he shaved his head to show how sad that he was. And then he bowed down to the ground to worship God. And he said, I was naked when I was born and I will be naked when I die. The Lord gave these things to me and he has taken them away. Praise the name of the Lord. And in all of this, Job did not sin or blame God. Now, even through the pain and the loss that Job had experienced, and so suddenly too, Job understood that the things of this life are merely temporary and that everything that he had was given to him because of God. And so, coincidentally, everything could also be taken away by God. And he never, he says he never blames God, he says he never sins, and it, it's because of that, because of his character, because of his reaction, that that's why we continue to remember and tell Job's story. Now, at the end of the book of Job, Job gets everything back. Everything that was taken away from him, he gets it all returned to him, and he gets more than what he had before. But honestly, I, I kind of think that this story would have been more powerful if he didn't. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm thrilled that he got everything back. Um, but, but look at his faith. Look at the reaction that he has to the circumstances that he was in and see how Job took his lemon of a life. Like I said, I'm, I'm thrilled that he got everything back. I would want everything back if it was taken away from me. But I, I think that we focus so much on the light at the end of the tunnel instead of focusing on the tunnel itself. I mean, have we ever stopped to ask ourselves when we're in the middle of a trial um, how we got in this tunnel in the first place? Or maybe why we're here? Um, or what we can learn from the situation that we're in in case someone follows on in the same path later on and we can help them through it. But runners don't run a race because they want to run a race, right? They, they run to compete. They train for a specific moment. But my question is, what if you're running the wrong race? That was a problem that Paul ran into early on in his life. Now, Paul made a lot of mistakes, and that's probably why everywhere that he looked, Paul found guilt. Paul was extremely well-educated. He was taught by the renowned Gamaliel. And he became a Pharisee in one of the most difficult schools. Um, he quickly learned how to work his way up a totem pole. And he, he learned the rule book inside and out. And he, he went around enforcing these rules, carrying out these punishments to all of those who didn't obey them and those who didn't fall in line. He was persecuting Christians. And he took men away from their families and from their children. And he watched as they were being stoned to death. And all along, he, he thought that what he was doing was the right thing. He thought that God would be happy with his actions, that maybe he'd get a, an extra little gold star in his crown. But instead, he received some stars in his eyes when he received his wake-up call on the road to Damascus because God blinded him and he put him in his place. And so Paul, at that point, changed his life. He changed his name and quite possibly became the biggest advocate that we have for Christianity in the entire New Testament. Now, Paul didn't live a cushy life after this. Uh, yes, once you become a Christian, your life gets better. You have more blessings. But that does not mean that it's all going to be smooth sailing. Um, things actually got incredibly worse for Paul. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul gives his own list of things that happens to him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, um, he, he lists everything that's happened to him since the beginning of his ministry. He starts out saying in verse 24, 
Five times the Jews have given me their punishment of 39 lashes with a whip. Three different times I was beaten with rods. One time I was almost stoned to death. Three times I was in ships that wrecked, and one of those times I spent a night and a day in the sea. I have gone on many travels, and I have been in danger from rivers, thieves, my own people, the Jews, and those who are not the Jews. I have been in danger in cities, in places where no one lives, and I've been in danger on the sea. I've been in danger with false Christians, and I've done hard and tiring work, and many times I did not even sleep. I've been hungry and thirsty, and many times I've been without food. I've been cold and without clothes. Besides all of this, there is on me the everyday load of my concern for all the churches. And I feel weak every time that someone is weak, and I feel upset every time that someone is led into sin. Now, after reading all of this, I mean, this guy is just filled with all sorts of bad luck. I, after reading, I definitely would not want him as my traveling companion. I, I, I don't really blame uh, John Mark for turning back after reading all of this. If Paul was living in 2020, he probably would have gotten the coronavirus three times, been stung by a whole swarm of murder hornets, but guess what? He would still be standing and he would still be here today because that's just the kind of guy that he is. He's been through everything and yet he's not just standing, he's thriving. But he still struggled with the idea of his past. He calls himself out time and time again. He calls himself the chief of sinners. But then he talks all about God's grace and God's love and his mercy. And that's because even though he was surrounded by guilt, Paul sought forgiveness. Paul understood the seriousness of his past, but he also understood the salvation of God's presence. Now, wherever the Spirit led Paul, he went. Not because it was the right thing to do or because he thought that maybe he had to earn his forgiveness or try harder to be a better person than he was before. He did it because he wanted to share the good news with everyone that he met. He was so excited. I, I honestly wonder how many times that he ended up telling his conversion story. We have record of it three times. We probably would have it more, but I, I think Luke probably got tired of writing it every time that Paul would tell it because he was just so excited about the forgiveness that comes with Christ. And Paul uses his story to encourage others and to encourage others to follow in his footsteps. And so this should, it, honestly, it should encourage us to extend this, the same good news to other people, the forgiveness that God brings and that Christ can and he will Forgive, And this should encourage us to forgive others as well. In Ephesians 4, verse 32, Paul reminds us that we are to forgive each other because Christ forgave us first. But we all know that the forgiveness that we've received, it, it didn't come for free, right? It came at a, a great price. And I don't think that there is anyone in this world that has suffered more than Christ did for us. But Christ didn't just suffer, Christ died for us. And I think that it can go without being said that Jesus enduring the cross is far worse than anything and everything that we have experienced in 2020. Jesus took the most bitter, the most sour lemon that the world had to offer, and he took it in love, and he took it for us. And last week, uh, all the eyes of the world were fixed on Jesus and his birth, and people who never would have stepped, place or stepped foot into a church building, they went to Christmas Eve services to see what the world was so happy about. And the answer was Jesus, and it, the answer is Jesus. And although his birth was nothing short of a miracle, his, his story doesn't stop there. Um, I think Isaiah 53 puts everything into perspective, honestly. Uh, I'm not going to read 
all of the chapter, but I would like to read just the first couple of verses for you. In Isaiah 53, it says, Who would have believed what we had heard? Who saw the Lord's power in this? He, he grew up small, like a plant before the Lord, like a root growing in a dry land. He had no special beauty or form to make us notice him. There was nothing in his appearance to make us desire him. But he was hated and rejected by people. He had much pain and suffering, and people would not even look at him. He was hated, and we didn't even notice him. But he took our sufferings upon himself, and he felt our pain for us. And we saw his suffering, and we thought that God was punishing him. But he was wounded for the wrongs that we did, and he was crushed for the evil that we did. The punishment which made us well was given to him, and we are healed because of his wounds. Now Christ, he, he willingly gave up his life. He was treated like a criminal. And because of this, he took away all of our sins. He, he gave us that hope, and he gave us the freedom that we now have. And even though he was dying, Christ sought life. Now, Jesus didn't, he didn't seek life for himself. He sought eternal life for us. He gave up the throne in heaven to come down to earth, to be, to be born in a stable, to be mocked and criticized by his friends and by his family, to be sold out by one of his own, to hang on a cross and die all by himself, to, to save us from our sins. Now, I don't know what your definition of love is, but I would say that that hits it right on the head. Now, whether you choose to believe that or not is entirely up to you. 2020 has done either one of two things. It has either pushed people further away from God, or it's drawn them closer to him. Now, I can tell you for 100% certainty that if Joseph, Job, or Paul were living today, that it would have drawn them so much closer to God. Our lemons in life are nothing compared to what they could be if Christ didn't die on that cross for us. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 says, my brothers and sisters, when you have many kinds of troubles, you should be full of joy because you know that these troubles test your faith and that this will give you patience. And let your patience show itself perfectly in whatever you do. And then you will be perfect and complete and you will have everything that you need. Life is all about perspective. It's all about the way that you see things. Yes, 2020 has been terrible, but if you look closer, maybe it hasn't, hasn't been that bad. This week as I was preparing for this lesson and I was going through and I was thinking about all the things that went wrong in 2020 and I was compiling that very long, very sad list that I read in the beginning, I, I started thinking about things a little bit more personal to me. I started thinking about uh, how many of my friends that got the coronavirus, how many people that I knew that passed away this year. And, and honestly, as I was thinking about it, I was just so excited for 2021 and how I couldn't wait for this year to be over. But then I started thinking to myself, I was like, surely something good had to come out of this entire year, right? And so I challenged myself to look back and, and try to see beyond what was so prominent and all of the negative. I tried to find the good in the midst of the bad. In the beginning of the year, Lena and I got to travel the world. We were blessed with the opportunity to be able to study abroad with Faulkner University and all of my friends there. I mean, we got to see things and experience things that most people don't get to see in an entire lifetime. And we, people dream of doing the kind of stuff that we did. We got to move into our first home. 
I mean, that's something that we didn't think was going to happen for at least another five years. We got to move closer to Lena's family. That's not something I ever thought was going to happen. But um, it's been an absolute blessing. And, and I was able to start full-time ministry here at Central. And that has been a major blessing to me and Lena. The Dak and Zach show. And I don't think anyone realized how much of a success that that was going to be. And in just three short months, little Ryder Harrison is going to be joining our family. And so, you know, as I started to think about all of these things, I, I just wondered how much of it would have happened if 2020 had been any different. I am very, very thankful for this bittersweet lemon that God has given to us this year. And I'm sure if you look back on your year, yes, of course, you will see all of the bad things that have happened because those are easy to point out. Those are on the forefront of your mind. But I challenge you to look back harder. Look at what God has brought us through. You are standing here today for a reason. God has never left us. He has never been closer. I'd like to read a poem to you, and I'm sure that most of you have heard this poem before, but I think that we could all use the encouragement and the reminder this morning. The poem is called Footsteps, and it goes like this. One night, I dreamed a dream. As I was walking along the beach with my Lord, across the dark sky flashed scenes from my life. And for each scene, I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to me, and one to my Lord. And after the last scene of my life flashed before me, I looked back at the footprints in the sand. And I noticed that many times along the path of my life, especially at the very lowest and the saddest times, there was only one set of footprints. Now this really troubled me, and so I asked the Lord about it. I said, Lord, you said once I decided to follow you that you would walk with me all the way. But I noticed that during the saddest and the most troublesome times in my life that there was only one set of footprints. I don't understand why when I needed you the most would you leave me? And he whispered, my precious child, I love you and I will never leave you. Never, even during your trials and your testings. For when you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. Now this morning, maybe you feel like Joseph. You're, you're tired of all of the lies, and you're tired of hitting rock bottom and having to start rebuilding back over and over, and you're having trouble seeing how God could be a part of this plan at all. Or maybe you just feel like Job. You feel like God has abandoned you during your most difficult year. You feel like you're facing all of the trials of life by yourself, and there's no one there to comfort you. Maybe you feel like Paul. Maybe you feel like you've been, you've been praying earnestly to God to remove these problems in your life, but yet they continue to stick around, and they're just weighing you down. Or maybe you feel like Jesus in the garden, and you've been begging God to provide another path, but ultimately you know that God is not going to alter his course. Or maybe you just feel like a human being. You're just tired you're stressed, you're overworked, you're tired of hearing about the coronavirus, you feel physically, mentally, or even spiritually drained, and you're just holding on to that hope that 2021 will be your year. Whatever you may be feeling this morning, Christ can set you free from it. And so whether you need someone to talk to or you need to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, I would be happy to help however I can. Just meet me in the back and, and I'd love to be able to help you. Don't let this lemon of a year stop you from getting right with Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are 
so thankful for the opportunity that we have to come together this morning to worship you and learn more about you. We're mindful of all the things that have happened this year. All of the bad things that have happened are, of course, at the forefronts of our mind, and we know that we get so easily caught up in all of the negativity, and, and it's hard for us to focus on the positive things. We just ask that you will remind us not only of the positive, but also of your presence. Remind us that you are here with us this morning. Remind us that you've been with us every step of the way and every single day this year. We're so thankful for your patience with us when we get frustrated, and, and we thank you for hearing our prayers. I pray that as we depart from our worship service this morning that you will help to sweeten the lemon that this year has been to so many people. Help us to be able to look back and be glad that we live through 2020. Thank you for carrying us when we are too weak to walk. And thank you for carrying the cross so that we don't have to. We pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.